Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What an intro! Hey! Thank you, Eli and Emma and Ezra. That was so nice. And it's great that we can connect with uh, the children. And even though we can't do our children's church, we can still make them a part of Sunday morning. It's great. And uh, we're grateful for Mr. Rob Susan. He's doing a great job. Welcome to uh, Bethesda Christian Church. To all you who are here and any of you who are joining us online, I'm Pastor Pat Visger. And with that little phrase that I just used, I am, give you a little bit about myself. I am. We've been talking about this little phrase that Jesus used somewhat often through the Gospel of John. And in that little phrase, he revealed things about himself. And Jesus, of course, revealed things about himself divine. We've been talking about them for the past couple of weeks. We're going to continue that. And this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a review from the last couple of weeks. And I begin right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I'm going to be moving through a number of scriptures uh, fairly uh, quickly, but they'll be here on the screen. We'll be in the book of Genesis We'll also be in the Gospel of John at the first chapter and also the eighth chapter and uh, scripture from the book of Hebrews. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the beginning, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hoovering over the waters. So in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and his claim of being divine. His claim of being God. Jesus said, and this was in John chapter 8, which where it will be today. He said, I am. And the phrase that he used before the leaders of the Jewish uh, religion was, before Abraham was, I am. Before that great patriarch of Israel, Jesus said, I am. And he was making a distinct claim. He was claiming the divine name of God. I am is the root of the name of God that the Jews wouldn't even speak. It was like a breath. Uh, Jehovah or Yahweh is the way it comes across in English. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus made that claim. And then last week, we heard from John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I am in the Father. Now with that little phrase again, I am, Jesus was making some claims, some startling claims to the people who were hearing him. Startling claims on divinity. I am God. This is what he was saying. I'm Jehovah. I'm Yahweh. When Jesus made that statement that we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, he was in the temple courts. 
And the leaders of the Jews were there and it incited them to violence. They picked up stones. They wanted to kill Jesus. And we, we know from that reaction that they perceived Jesus as being very serious, that he was blaspheming. And blasphemy was a capital crime. So they were going to deal with it right then and there. They picked up stones uh, to kill him. Yet, in that instance, Jesus evaded uh, being stoned, and he made more of these claims. He claimed also, and we heard this last week, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, Jesus was not only from the Father, but he said, I and the Father are one. To his uh, disciple named Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip was asking questions. So Jesus answered him straight up. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. I am God. That's the claim that Jesus was making. Jesus is God. He is God, and he is the God who was there in the beginning. The creator God, the creator of heaven and earth. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews 1, Hebrews chapter 1, the opening lines of this letter tells us that God through Jesus created the universe. And then comes this line. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus identified himself as God. He said, I am. He equated himself with the Father and to the Father. He's equal with him in all things, everything, including being the creator. And I know that's difficult for us to put our minds around this idea that God predated time, that he uh, became flesh, he took on flesh, he became a man. But Jesus did that, and he's equal with the Father, including being the creator. He's the exact representation of God. This is what the letter of Hebrews is telling us. So he could say to his disciple Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, at that time when Jesus said that, this greater group of disciples was with him, and there was one there named John, John the Apostle, John who wrote the gospel. And John, like the others, may not have really understood that when Jesus first said it. When he declared, I am in the Father, the Father's in me, and he made these other statements about his divinity, it, it seems as we read through the Gospels, his disciples didn't fully grasp it. They didn't get it. But... It sunk in. They did come to understand this. And we know that, that John comprehended this, that Jesus is God. God and Jesus are one because John taught this. He wrote about it in his gospel. John opened his gospel with these words. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and this is pointing to Jesus. It's the living Word, 
And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. There's creation. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In the opening lines of John's gospel, he said Jesus is God and he is creator. And what were the first words recorded of the creator God? The very first words that God spoke. It's the third verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. These are the first words of God. We could say the first words of Jesus. In the first two verses, which I've already read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth earth was without a form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hoovering over the waters. Then verse 3, <clears throat> Genesis 1, 3. Again, the first recorded words of God, the first recorded words of creation. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light preceded the rest of all creation. Before anything, Living before anything alive, before any plant, before any creature, any animal, any fish in the sea, anything above ground, on ground, before it all, before the creation of man and woman, there was a light. Light. This is the, the first spoken word of God. Let there be light. Life requires light. Well, John's gospel opened with this attribution that Jesus is the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was with him in the beginning. Through him, all things were created. Nothing was created that wasn't created by him. And then John wrote verses four and five of his gospel. The chapter one, the next lines were in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light and life here are, they're coupled, they're connected. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness is not overcoming. God, the I am, the creator, the first spoken words after creation, of just this formless, dark world where let there be light. And Jesus, John tells us, is the light. He's the light of life. The light that gives life to all mankind. How did John know that? Well, it it sunk in. He was filled with the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended. The Holy Spirit empowered him. All of the the disciples and the apostles, they're filled with the Spirit. They begin to see all that Jesus had been saying to them. It sunk in when Jesus declared himself about the light. And that's in John chapter 8. John recorded it. Just a brief background. In John 8, Jesus was teaching in the temple. He was in the temple courts. And that's the context of John 7. Jesus is in the temple courts. It's various accounts. 
They, they move from account to account. And John 8 opens. Jesus is still there in the temple courts. He, he deals with this uh, woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. He's, they, the leaders of the Jews try to trap him. And then uh, verse number 12 begins a new account. A new account of Jesus' teaching. And I want to read John 8, verses 12 and 13. When Jesus spoke again to the people. So we have this. It's a, it's a new episode here in this narrative as he's in the temple courts. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. These Pharisees, these authorities, the overseers, the rulers of the Jewish faith, they were, they, they were making a, a judgment on what Jesus was saying. They were discerning what he was saying. They were perceiving that Jesus was saying something spiritual, not temporal, not something about the world, not something about earthly things. Jesus did not say, I am another light. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, look at me. I, I'm like a torch. He didn't say, oh, hey, I'm a 10,000 lumen light. No, no, he did not say anything like that. No, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light. And he continued with speaking about those who would follow him, that they would not be in darkness. Of course, Jesus was speaking of spiritual matters. He wasn't talking about night and day or somehow that uh, he could give them light in the, the dark of night in the physical sense. No, he was talking about some spiritual matters. He was in the temple courts. And that's where spiritual matters were taught. That's where the Old Testament, our Old Testament, which is what they had, that's what they were teaching and discussing in the temple courts. It was a place to discuss spiritual life and spiritual matters. And the Pharisees knew this book we call the Old Testament. They knew passages in there that connected God and light. Psalm 118 says, the Lord is God, and he has made the light shine on us. And Psalm 18 says, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. I mean, they, they understood and knew that. There's no doubt that they understood that Jesus was speaking of spiritual matters of the heart. And that this I am declaration that he made, he was attempting to connect himself with divinity. He didn't say I contribute to the light or I'm part of the light or I add to the light. No, I am the light, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not be in darkness, but will have the light of life. Immediately he's challenged. Immediately, the Pharisees come after him. Your testimony's not valid. And this begins a back and forth. If you read through the entirety of John 8, and we were in John 8 a couple of weeks ago, and we touched on this back and forth contention that these Pharisees had with Jesus. 
Your testimony is not valid, they told him. And the discussion becomes contentious to the point where Jesus plainly just stated his divinity. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they understood it and they tried to kill him. And this contention, it begins right here in verse 12. With this declaration, he rolls it out. I'm the light of the world. And he connects it to life. So what's the impl- what's the implication here when Jesus says, those uh, who follow me will not be in darkness, but will have the light of life? What's the implication? If you're not following Jesus, here's the implication. You're in darkness. And you, you have no life. You're dead. And let that sink in for a, a minute. If you are not following Jesus, you are in darkness. No life. He's the light of life. You're not following him. You're dead. A sobering thought. And after all, what grows in the dark? Does anything grow in the dark? Well, there are some things. Yeah, there are some things. And you could probably, uh, some of the scientists out uh, here could probably tell me or biologists that, yeah, there are certain things that grow in the dark and certain plants can survive in the dark and they will survive over some certain amount of time. But their growth really isn't going to be that great. They don't really grow. They survive. You might say, well, there's a seed. A seed germinates in the dark. It needs the dark to germinate or a child uh, gestates inside her mother's womb in the dark and that's all true it's all true but the seed the seed that germinates in the dark it's got to break through the soil and and it needs light to absorb and and to to really grow and have life and and that child inside its mother's womb you know she needs to be born into the light and receive light because light is life-giving even the tiniest amount of it even the tiniest amount. We saw Mr. Rob Susan with that little teeny light. And we could discern him and see him. And I, I was reminded this past week of how a little bit of light, it can be life-sustaining. Uh, Julie and I had a chance just to be away and to sit one dark night and gaze at the stars. It was pitch black sit on the shore of Lake Huron and just look up in this thick pitch blackness. Couldn't even see the hand in front of our face. It was the exact opposite of high noon. It was the exact opposite of what we saw in that little video with Eli and Emma and Ezra as they were on the beach and the sun shining and the camera went up to the sun, right? It's glorious. You could see everything. So there we were, the exact opposite of a cloudless, uh, sunshiny day when everything can be seen. We're sitting there in the dark, can't see our hand. But in that darkness, as we looked up, there's the sky just filled with these little lights, just filled with stars, thousands and thousands of these little lights. And that light's not bright enough to light the earth. Yet these little lights, these little teeny lights, they can sustain life. Laying there, hearing the waves, I'm thinking, it wasn't all that long ago when a a boat was out on the water. It needed those little lights to stay alive. Before the days of GPS and modern navigation, 
Those little lights, they would guide a boat safely, sustain life without the the lights of the night uh, stars. That little boat could be lost. So even the little, littlest of light can be life-sustaining. And Jesus is the light of life. He's the light that doesn't just sustain life. He's the giver of life. So his implication was clear to this, this contentious group that was listening to him. Follow the one who says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of life. Because outside of me, outside of Jesus, darkness, darkness. And what grows in the dark? Does anything grow in the dark? I know I said nothing grows in the dark, really. Nothing advances in the dark. But that's not entirely true. There are some things that grow in the dark. Mold and fungus. It needs the dark to advance. And it's inks and it's putrid. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. And consider this from Job chapter 24. Job 24, verses 13 to 17. There are those who rebel against the light, who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. When daylight is gone, the murderer rises up, kills the poor and needy, and in the night steals forth like a thief. The eye of the adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks, no eye will see me and he keeps his face concealed. In the dark, thieves break into houses, but by day they shut themselves in. They want nothing to do with the light. For all of them, midnight is their morning. They make friends with the terrors of darkness. There's what's going on in the dark. Paul, the New Testament writer, the former Pharisee, who became a follower of Jesus. He wrote to this church in Rome and he wrote things like put aside the deeds of darkness. And he gave lists and he wrote lists of these deeds and other letters. But to the Romans, he said, the the deeds of darkness are carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality and debauchery, uh, dissension and jealousy. So what grows in the dark? Mold, fungus, the mold and the fungus of sin perpetuates in the dark violence and murder and theft and adultery and carousing and dissensions and all these things, all the like. The filth of sin grows in the dark. And in the end, in the end, without Jesus, the darkness continues. This sobering thought, you know, that Jesus said, I'm the light of life. Without me, you're in darkness. Jesus said things like this. He said, those outside the kingdom of God at their end will remain outside in the darkness. And he used words like this, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that 
that reality, it puts into perspective these words of Jesus, this I am declaration. I am the light of the world. I am the light of life. The light of life that Christ brings, it isn't just reserved to this mortal life and life here on earth. No, it, it really wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about eternity because the light of Christ and the light of life, it secures immorality because he is the giver of eternal life. You know, the Pharisees contended with Jesus. They were these ones like Job. Uh, we read about in Job. They, they rebelled against the light. They contended with Jesus. Why? Because their perspective was temporal. It was earthly. It was here and now. This is their point of view. Their vision was to maintain their positions of power and authority. They were living in the dark. They were a moldering fungus. And as they contended with Jesus, he told them, you are going to die in your sins. And guess what? You're going to remain in the dark. And he repeated it again. In John 8, he said, you're going to die in your sins. He repeated it. John 8, 24. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. That's, that's harsh words and it's hard to hear. But there's the positive Jesus is the light of life, eternal life. No one needs to die in their sins. Not a single person. Not, no one needs to die in their sins. Sin that separates from God, you know, a mold and a fungus. If you've ever had to deal with a mold or a fungus problem, you know how offensive that can be. It can put you out of your house totally. It can condemn a house when it spreads behind the walls and in the dark. And it's nasty. That's sin. This is this picture of sin. It separates from God. Sin's this mold and fungus that's offensive to God. So offensive, it, it brought death into the world. God's divine and perfect justice required restitution for this. And that restitution was a life. And Jesus, the light of life, hallelujah, he made restitution for every single person. He willingly gave his life and it met with God's justice for all, for every single person. God doesn't require my life to pay for sin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. He doesn't require your life. He doesn't require any other life, no other blood. No. Only Jesus, this was his divine plan, that he would become human to deal with this issue of sin, to come down here to teach us, walk with, walk with humanity, walk with his creation, feel pain, understand suffering. And he gave his life to make restitution for sin. And God requires none else, only Jesus. But each one of us, each one of us has to individually come to that and repent and turn from our own pharisaical ways because I know for sure I've got those that creep up from time to time. And I thank God that I, I can say Jesus died for me and help me with wrestling with those pharisaical ways that rebel against the light. 
need to repent and give that up and believe that Jesus, Jesus, receive that Jesus satisfied God's justice and follow him and receive what? Receive eternal life, the light of life. Do you see a little bit of that light right now? Like that lone star in a, in a dark sky, like that, that little lighter Mr. Rob Susan was holding up? Has the tiniest bit of, of light, has the tiniest bit of light, has it shown in your soul? See it. See it. Follow it. It leads to a safe harbor. It leads to life, life everlasting. Surrender to that little light and let it grow. Let it just fill. Humbly let go of all of that darkness and turn to that light, the light of life. If there's anyone here and you've not really received that light of life, but you see it maybe for the very first time, it's making a little bit of sense to you today. Receive that light. I want to pray for you and pray with you. But for those of you who've you've seen the light, you've known the light, you've followed the light, you've, you've let the light grow in you and fill you. Jesus said something else that's it's, it's amazing. It's almost stop you in your steps amazing. At the start of the Sermon on the Mount, his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Isn't that amazing? He said, I am the light. He was the light, the divine light. But then he said, you are. If you've received Jesus, you've received Jesus, you have the light of life in you. And Jesus said, now you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. We heard earlier, don't hide it under a basket. No. If you know Christ and Jesus has been shining in your life, be that light on the hill. Let it shine to everyone. Let your light shine before others is what Jesus said. We heard it open. Be effective. Be fruitful. Yes. So, If you've never, ever received the light, receive it today because you'll have eternal life. Eternal life. Repent, turn from that mold and fungus of sin and and receive the light of eternal life and never have to hear those words out with you where there's weeping and gnashing and gnashing of teeth. And as you've received the light and all of those who've received it for years and years, be effective, be fruitful, let your light shine. Let's stand and pray. Let's stand and pray as we close the service this morning and I, I want to pray with any who again if you've never ever really truly opened your eyes and your heart to receive the light do that today and receive eternal life and for the rest of us who've been walking with the light of life let's be effective and fruitful Father God in the name of Jesus our Lord and our Savior, the light of life, who declared, I am. He's God. I am in the Father. He's one with you. I am the light of life. Oh, thank you for that, God. If there's any in this house or 
anyone that's listening, who's joined online, who have never received the light of life. And maybe it's just a little bit today. They're just seeing the crack of light. Lord, I pray that it would spread in their heart. I pray they would turn and put aside that mold, that that darkness, Lord, and come out of it and turn and open their hearts to you and let the light of life shine in them, God, that they would turn from their wicked ways and receive you, God. See, that that sin that has has held me back, I, I, I don't want to do it my way. I give up my pharisaical rebelliousness against the light, and I just want to receive Jesus' eternal life. Help me to repent, God, and turn to you and walk with you and follow the light. God, I just pray that if there's any in here saying that prayer, any in my within my listening voice, oh God, walk with them, help them. Lord, be with them. Light up their heart, God. And for all of those, all of us who've received the light of Jesus Christ, be it recently, be it a year ago, be it 20, 50 years ago, God, we can do better and shine in the light. God, we can be more fruitful and more effective. Help us, God, help us to to receive what you said. We are the light of the world. God, help us to be that light. Help us to be bold and shine forth, especially in, in these uncertain times, to share eternal glory, eternal life. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Bless. Bless everyone here and everyone who's listening, God. Bless them. Keep them. Carry us, God, and use us. I thank you, God, for your word. And I thank you that Jesus is our God and our Savior. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.